All right, we, we are uh, coming towards the end of our study on the Gospel of John. It's only taken about four and a half years. Uh, but uh, I, I, I know you are all experts in the Gospel of John, and it, I really do believe it is the foundational study uh, for all Christians. It really is. And so now we're in uh, chapter 21, verse 9, and we're going to study today how Jesus makes invitations. Um, and one of the things that you see about Jesus in his invitations, he is so loving. Uh, the God of the universe is so loving that his invitations are full of love and care. Uh, and really what he does is he's enhancing relationships. That's what Jesus does. He brings people to the cross through relationships. And we're going to study that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 21, beginning with verse 9. <clears throat> And you know, this is the last time that he will, is the third time really, that he's appearing to the disciples since he was resurrected. Uh, and he had directed them to come to this site when they were in Jerusalem. He told them to come to this site on the Sea of Galilee. And so they were out fishing. Uh, and as they were fishing, uh, they were not catching any fish until he told them to put their net on the other side of the boat. And when they did that, they caught 153 fish. Uh, and now he's on the shore, and he is preparing breakfast for them. And, and I want you to conjure up in your mind how great this image is, that the God of the universe loves you so much that he's actually making breakfast for you. He knows your physical needs. He knows your physical needs. He knows that you're hungry, and he loves you so much that he's actually attending to that. And so beginning at verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, and so what an incredible vision this is of this moment when Jesus is making breakfast for them uh, and inviting them to even bring, bring some of their fish for the, for the uh, breakfast. Now, we're going to go back and study the, some of the other invitations in Scripture that Jesus made because it builds the story, it builds the lesson. Uh, and the lesson really is how Jesus uh, speaks to us and brings us to faith. And the lesson here for you is to really uh, use this as a paradigm in your own relationship with the world and your family, how you bring people to faith. You don't bring people to faith by saying you're a lousy sinner and you're going to hell. I hope you like hot places, you know? And I've heard people speak like this. I mean, I've heard it from the pulpit, all right? Uh, and, and that is not the way to bring people to Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself never did that. Uh, and so you see Jesus engaged in loving relationships, bringing people to faith by showing them how much he loved them and cared for them. Uh, and that's our responsibility. So the first invitation that we see Jesus giving is in John chapter 1, verse 39. If you would turn there. And this is where Jesus 
uh, is effectively bringing the disciples together. Uh, and so, let's see, let's start with verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples, that's his disciples, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Come, and you will see. All right? He didn't say, I'm the Messiah. You have to come and do this and give up everything. He said, come and you will see. Uh, and, and what I love about this is that this is an invitation in such a basic, loving way. Come and you will see. Come and you will taste. Come and you will see what God is doing. Come and you will see the Lamb of God. Just coming and being a part of what he's doing will draw you in like nothing you have ever seen or done before. And he does it in this so simple, loving, innocuous way uh, that, that these disciples come and stop. Uh, and so it's, it's an invitation from Jesus to come to salvation. Now, he didn't give them all of the theology. He didn't have to go through the Old Testament scriptures and go through everything at that point. All he said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit touching these, these disciples, come and see. And of course, they did come uh, and see and they discovered that he was the Savior. Uh, and, and it's in the context of how Jesus spoke to them there. It's very similar to Psalm 34. And take a look at this, uh, because I love this, this passage. Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Taste, taste, and see that the Lord is good that he's loving, that he cares about you, that he, wa that he wants the best for you. Uh, and so the disciples came, uh, they tasted, they saw, uh, and they became lifelong disciples and, and part of, of the great ministry. Now, uh, what you also will see here is how they then responded uh, to others after they had come and, and saw. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 41. We'll start with verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, all right, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, you got to love that. Uh, there's Peter, uh, and, and, and Andrew was so sold out in, in being with Jesus and seeing who Jesus was that, that he immediately understood, this is the Messiah. Jesus didn't have to go through a prolonged explication of all the scripture in the Old Testament. When he came and he saw uh, the relationship with Jesus, that experience was so profound that he knew immediately, this is the Messiah. And now he goes and he gets his brother, Peter. Uh, well, we call him Peter. Right now he's called Simon. And so I want you to see the invitation that Jesus gives to Peter. Now it's a little different. Uh, Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. Now, this is an, uh, an entirely different invitation because he sees Peter uh, and he's able supernaturally to construe his character. 
And his character at that time, based on his name, was basically Jellyfish. How do you like that? That was the nature of the name, Jellyfish, weak. And Jesus saw this. He saw the nature of the character. And so he changes his name to Cephas. And Cephas, in Greek, meant rock. What happened? What happened? It's because through the Holy Spirit as coming into the presence of the Lord himself, that Jesus was basically remaking the character of Peter, remaking this man. Uh, and so effectively, that's how uh, he, he invited Peter into the group. Jesus understood that there were different personalities, all right? You didn't necessarily speak to, to John the Apostle by changing his name, but you did when you spoke to Peter, recognizing that this is how he had to be brought into the group, that his name had to be changed. You see how Jesus... Uh, sees this, how he sees it all, and how he adapts uh, in his call to salvation, uh, his understanding of human nature, what you need to hear, and how each person responds in a different way. Uh, and I hope you're, you're taking notes on this so that you recognize yourself when you go to speak to your family members or friends, that you don't speak the same way to everybody. Uh, and, and God is showing us this in, in so many ways. And so he's, he's changing Peter from effectively a jellyfish uh, into a potential giant. Uh, later in John 1, uh, we read that Jesus calls Philip, the apostle Philip. Now, Philip goes to, to get his friend Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel, who will also become a disciple, is skeptical. Uh, and when he does this, uh, he's told that Jesus comes from Nazareth. Uh, and, and he uses the same invitation that Jesus gave him. And he said, come and see. We have found the Messiah. Come and see. Uh, and so uh, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? What, are you kidding me? Nazareth is a truck stop. Nothing good could ever come from, from Nazareth. Uh, but then look at how Jesus responds to this. Uh, and we'll start with verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Now, we can appreciate that. How do you know me? How do you know who I am? How do you know anything about me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, this was, fig tree was not within eyesight of Jesus. This fig tree was some, some distance away. But Jesus supernaturally was able to envision uh, him being called under the fig tree. And so, as he, effectively, Jesus is saying, I know, I know everything about your life. I know who you are. I know your heart. Uh, and when, when, when uh, Nathaniel heard that, look how he responds. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, did we get through any scripture analysis? Was there theology 101? No, you understand? Did Jesus go back and open up the scriptures like he did to the dis disciples on the road to Emmaus? None of that. All Jesus said is, I know who you are. I know your life. I know what you are. I know what you will become. And instantaneously, through the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, this disciple says, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. Do you see the, the, the way God works in the different invitations uh, to us? And so 
This is what Nathaniel needed. He needed to see the power of God effectively reading his life. And when he saw the power of God, uh, he made this incredible testimony. Now, we, we study this throughout the gospel, uh, and, and there are lessons about this, that Jesus had his invitations in different ways. Look at Nicodemus. What did Jesus do with Nicodemus? Here was an intellectual giant, a great rabbi, one of the great rabbis in all of Israel. And what did Jesus do? Well, he challenged Nicodemus to go back and look at the scriptures. Go back and study the scriptures. You need to be born again. And Nicodemus is going, wait, wait born again? I don't get this. I don't understand it. But because Jesus was effectively challenging him and inviting him, to go back and study and look, and Nicodemus obviously did, did this, and we know that Nicodemus' life was changed forever. We know that his life was changed forever because he came to the cross and took the body of Jesus down from the cross. Even though he still stayed in the Sanhedrin, he took the body of, of Jesus down along with Joseph of Arimathea. You can imagine what it took courageously for that to take place. But again, Jesus giving an invitation appropriately based on the time and the situation, the character, the person. Then let's talk about the Samaritan woman at the well. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture because th this is an example that you can give to the world when people say, I've sinned too much. I've sinned too much. God would never accept me. I cannot, I cannot be a child of God because you don't know what I know about myself. And I want you to know, no, you're wrong. God knows everything. And nobody has sinned too much. Nobody, God doesn't sit there with a scale, all right? I mean, I was talking to one of the people this morning in church here uh, about various sins, and, 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 and as we come to terms with bringing people to the cross of Christ, God doesn't weigh your sins based on, ooh, that's a 10-pointer. Oh, God, oh, oh that's only a one-pointer. That's only a one-pointer. I know, you're, that's slander. Mm, slander's not that bad. You know, I always kid you and tell you, stealing from the government is not a sin. It's actually a bonus because you're just taking your own money back. You know, I mean, I know that's how many of you view it, but there have been times in my life when I viewed it that way as well. But the point of this is this. God does not have a scale on sin. Sin is sin. You understand that? Let's get that straightened out right here. You make one sin or it's a thousand sins, it's sin. And you're outside the will of God. Without Jesus Christ, that puts you outside the kingdom of God. All right? So when somebody says to you, I've sinned too much, then you, said, Boy, you should say, then join the club. Join the club. Because I'm right there with you. I have sinned too much. And I sin today. Every moment of the day I get up and sin. Every moment of the day, as soon as I put my feet on the ground from bed, who knows the sins that begin to be formed in my heart, the thoughts that begin to be formed in my heart, slander and envy, and the mental sins, the mental sins, which we don't even think about. You know, we don't like to think about the mental sins, but God does. He waits them just as much. And so here's this woman who had had five husbands, five husbands, and the sixth guy she was living with was not her husband. And so here she is, and Jesus comes to speak to her and bring her into the kingdom of God, and she will become the first great evangelist in the New Testament. How about that? Does that tell you something about the heart of God? All right. First of all, it's a Samaritan, a despised race. Secondly, it's a woman despised genetically in, in terms of Israel. 
all right? And thirdly, someone who, who was openly, notoriously sinning, so much so that she was reviled by her community. She couldn't go and get water uh, when the other women got water. She had to go at the very heat of the day. And Jesus is there, and Jesus now gives her uh, this great invitation that speaks to her heart. Look at John 4, chapter, uh, verse 13. Again, recognizing, demonstrating how Jesus gives invitations. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband. I want you to understand that and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And so you see Jesus breaking down the barriers between himself and this woman, demonstrating who he is and how she became sold out to him. She goes back to town, brings the entire town out to him, and the entire town gets saved. The entire town gets saved. And so the lesson for you is this. Don't let anybody ever say to you, I've sinned too much. I'm too far outside the will of God. God cannot stand. I want you to see that God uh, loves everyone. And I want you to see what happens even beyond your understanding, how you can take somebody like this and that somebody can become one of the great evangelists. Billy Graham's uh, uh, sister said one time, you know, they, told, they say that my brother was the greatest evangelist of the 20th century, she said, but it's not really true. Uh, and the reporter said, really? What do you mean by that? She says, well, the greatest evangelist was the farmer that gave my brother the gospel over the back fence. That could be you. That could be you. That's how great God is. The farmer that gave my brother the gospel over the back fence. So you, you see this, uh, and, you, and, and you see this as we study the scripture. Jesus goes through these various relationships, um, and, and you see it in, in chapter 9, the man born blind. And then you see it even uh, uh, at the end of his life, um, at the time of the resurrection. If you turn to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, and you do, again you see how Jesus does these invitations. Um, Verse 15, John chapter 20. This is right, out, right outside the tomb. Well, we'll start with verse 13. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not really realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. That's it, Mary. That, that word is so resplendent in terms of putting together all of the love and affection that Christ had. Mary, she turned toward him and cried, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, how, again, it, how Jesus is so profound that sometimes even the name, just saying the name of a person uh, and, and, and doing it with love, 
and affection. It's so replete with the love of God that, that God does the rest. Mary, Mary. Oh, what a God we have. What a God we have. Uh, and so what the lesson here is that God will meet you on your own ground. That's the amazing thing about God. All right. As you open your heart up and, 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 and have a willingness to accept Christ, God will meet you on your own ground. He will come to where you are. He will be where you are. He will speak in a language that you understand. There will be no excuses that God didn't speak to your heart. He will speak to your heart, uh, and, and it's so profound. Uh, now look also at Matthew chapter 11, another invitation. Matthew chapter 11. And here we see in this chapter uh, Jesus speaking uh, to a territory where both he and John the Baptist did not have uh, success. Bethsaida, Chorazin, Chorazin, I passed right by the city of Chorazin. I saw it. I said to the guide, Jewish guide, I said, you know, there's a curse on that city. There's a curse on that city. He did not know that. Uh, he was Jewish, uh, and, and because they had rejected Jesus. Uh, and so take a look at Matthew eleven twenty eight, and this is now Jesus speaking uh, to, the, to that area of people, the people who did accept Christ. There were people in that area that did accept Christ. And so now Christ is giving them an invitation, and look to see how he does this. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. <laughs> Lord, God, this is God speaking to you. Believe in me. Come, taste, and see. Take my yoke upon me. Be a part of what I'm doing, and you will see that my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I know that you're burdened. I know that you're heartsick. I know that you're sad. I know that you're depressed. I know that you see death all around you, and as it does, it brings you down, and you're burdened by death and all the evils of this world, but take my yoke. Take my yoke upon me, because when you take my yoke upon me, then you will be satisfied for the rest of your life. I will walk with you every step of the way. I will be with you. I will bear your burdens. You can rely on me. I will never go away. Oh, Lord, God, what an invitation this is. Uh, to a world that is desperate and needs it. What a great example of how God loves us and, and rejoices in taking to us. Um, take a look also at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, another invitation. Verse 31. Verse 30, we'll start. The apostles gathered around Jesus and report, reported to them all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Look at Jesus. There he's speaking to the disciples who are working for the kingdom of God. But sometimes even those of us who are working in the kingdom of God actively, we can wear ourselves down. We can physically wear ourselves down. And God sees that. God doesn't want you to wear yourself down physically. Listen, we have to understand we're just the messengers. We're not the saviors. We bring the message. God is the Savior. And look at how he recognizes that. Come, come with me. Come with me. Have rest. Come and have rest. Meaning, have the rest of God in your life. The peace of God in your life. What a great message that is. Uh, and, and understanding that when you come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, I will give you rest. 
even in this world, not just the next world, but even in this world. Uh, and so what a, a great understanding. And so now we come to this invitation that we have here uh, in John 21, in which Jesus says, come and dine. Come and dine. They'd been fishing all day. They were hungry. They hadn't caught any fish until they listened to Jesus. And how like, how like God, how like Christ, that even in his resurrection glory, he was not unmindful of the physical needs of his disciples. I want to emphasize this to you, that each and every one of you have physical needs. All right? You have physical needs. I don't want you to think that God is not mindful of your physical needs. He's very mindful of your physical needs. He knows when you're sick. He knows when you're depressed. He knows when you're hurting. And he's there ready to fill that need, to lift you up and touch you and affirm you. So here he is. This is what breakfast is about. Because in the Bible, eating uh, was effectively fellowship. It was communion. Whenever you, you see people eating uh, in the scriptures, it is a sign of the fact that they are time, taking time to commune and have fellowship together. Remember, eating in, in the Old Testament times was far different than today. You know, you just didn't go down to Publix and say, let me have a loaf of bread, some fish. No, whatever you got, you had to get yourself, all right? You had to go and catch the fish. You had to go and make the bread, all right? Uh, and so here it is. Jesus has it all ready for them. It's there. He's cooking the breakfast, demonstrating, I love you. I know your needs. I know you're hungry. And this is about my, my physical relationship with you. I want you to know how much I care about you and how much I love you. And so this is so amazing. Uh, and, and what it shows us is the depth of the love that Christ has for us. The depth of the love that Christ has for us. This is no superficial love. This is so deep and so profound, it's not just eternal love that goes on to the other side, it's here. One of the things we have to tell people about becoming a Christian is how your lives are impacted here. You know this. You know that since you became a Christian that your life here is never compared to what it was before, that you have a sense of love and peace every sense of the day. There's not a moment in the world that goes by when I don't know that God holds me in his hand. I never have a doubt as to whether I'm doing the will of God because I know that as long as I stay on the path that he called me, that he's with me, he's walking with me. And even as I go through some dark times, and I do go through dark times, he's there with me. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, this is important to understand that. That's what come and dine means. I love you so much that I'm going to make breakfast for you. I'm going to take care of the very physical need that you have that you don't think anybody really cares about, but I care about it because I created you. Uh, and so the Lord basically invites us into fellowship with him. Uh, and in that respect, it's like the communion service. And when we have communion, when we have the communion service, that's effectively what we're doing. We're entering into our a continuing fellowship and relationship with Christ. And you see it beginning here when he made this first breakfast, uh, and, and it continues thousands of years later with us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares about you. Look, the Christian life uh, is not a showcase for superstars, all right? It's not about some giant heroic people. The Christian life is about people like us, everyday people who get up and have all kinds of problems, and yet because of Jesus Christ walking daily, with him, that we walk into eternity with Jesus Christ.
that he covers us, that he lifts us up, that he attends to our needs. Yes, that he even makes breakfast for us uh, in this way. And then this, the last invitation is found in Matthew 25. And if you turn there, uh, I think this is also a fitting way to end up this study, Matthew 25. Uh, and here, uh, Jesus is talking about the last days. And if you turn to verse uh, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. This is the last days. Uh, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and you are the sheep. You are the sheep. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me. And I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And that is the invitation. Come and take your inheritance. I saw what you did. I saw how you lived your life. I saw how you took care of the needy, how you clothed those who needed clothing, how you went to the prisons and visited the prison. You did all that because you were part of my kingdom. You were my disciples. Now come and take what is yours. Come and be a part of the kingdom. And then you see even how, how those, those sheep respond. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did, we, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see you with a stranger and invite you in uh, or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and, and go to visit you? And that's example, exactly the, the role of the righteous. We don't do anything because we're doing it to build up a prize. You understand? We're not looking to effectively to send our money ahead to heaven. All right, our assets ahead. We do it because we love Christ, that we love him so much that we want to be a part of what he is, that this is how we thank him, that we go into this evil world and do the work that he would want us to do, that if he were here, we would be his hands, we would be his feet. And then Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And so Jesus will never disappoint Never disappoint anyone who comes and accepts his invitation. You see all these invitations to various people in various calls of their life. Christ comes and meets you where you are. But whatever he did, he did in love and grace. And his presence, his love is so fulfilling that when he comes into a person's life, they're changed forever. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lesson that you've given us, Father. I thank you for this lesson from Christ himself as we see how he impacted the world, how it was all about relationships and every invitation that he gave, Lord. He was never harsh. He was never demeaning, but instead, Lord, he lifted up with love. And help us, Father, today as we leave here to go out into the world and express his love the same way to the world that needs to hear it. Give us the grace, Father, to recognize that different people need to hear his word in a different way. We ask you to inspire us through the Holy Spirit. Be with our people this week. Protect them and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word, Father. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I bless you all. I bless you.